Our scripture this morning as we conclude our Fresh Start series is from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you. Uh, we're concluding our series, as Cindy mentioned, this series we've been calling Fresh Start, as we've been at the beginning of the year, considering how we can navigate these unique, unique times we're in. Uh, really, the thought behind the series has been people are entering across the board 2023 in far different ways than just they were back in 2022. There's just so much that people were hoping for in 2022 that just didn't happen the way we were just just really gearing up for. We were going to get our lives back after the pandemic. We were going to take our take steps forwards in our career or or whatever respect. Uh, and just the 22 is going to be our year, but it didn't pan out that way for a lot of folks. And so folks are just entering into 2023 with just a little less you know enthusiasm, a little less optimism. I was. Uh, talking with a, a few of you, and it was interesting how, you know, this thought that how we're in these unique times is really resonant, and, and it's just only become uh, more so with, like, the tech layoffs the last little bit, happening mid-series. So, what are we to do? I mean, I was reading even in the news this last week, this last week, just a couple days ago, one of the major news outlets had done uh, just research and had found that of the record high number of people who quit their jobs in 2020, uh, 2022, a whopping 80% now regret that decision. I mean, that's just, that's incredible data. And what the pundits are now saying is we've, we're, we're moving from the great resignation into the great regret. Uh, we're, we're living in unique times. How ought we navigate these times? How might the Lord call us to navigate them if, if we're followers of his? Uh, last week, we kind of got into uh, our motivations, like what is especially motivating us as we think about the year and the years ahead? What really drives us? And we talked about how uh, we want to really place our one thing in the Lord, have him be priority, have him be our, our main aim. Well, today we move from talking about our motivations to the mission that God gives us. Uh, let me ask it this way. 
What do you want your life to have been about? When you get to the end, what will you have wanted your life to have been about? Uh, we all know this is a very important question to each and every one of us. Uh, and we also all know that we probably don't give that question all that much thought, or at least anywhere near as much as we ought to. And then on top of that, we probably don't live from it as much as we ought to. What do you want your life to have been about when you get to the end? What, what, is, what is your purpose? What is your mission? Well, God gives us his mission. We're going to consider today. Whoa, my pulpit is kind of... <laughs> we'll see how that works. Um, you know, the three stooges, it's like, okay, here we go. Um, what do you want your life to have been about when you get to the end? God gives us a mission of all missions that is far bigger than anything we can do on our own. And so we got to consider this as a church, but also his followers. And so um, uh, the, the one thing I want to say, though, as we, as we get into it, is to consider how incredibly uh, straightforward and simple it is, and yet it's incredibly easy to miss or stray from. Okay, so we're going to consider this mission and our partner. Let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, uh, thank you for this time we can get together and worship. Thank you that at the beginning of this uh, year, even as we're entering into uh, February, uh, we can pause and consider uh, what you want our lives to be about, what you invite our lives to be about. And so, Father, as ever with, with any and every sermon, I pray that you would speak to each of us according to your spirit, according to your word. You'd help me even to get out of the way. And you'd show us as a church, as, as, a, as your people, how to follow you, how to, how to put your mission first. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what, what is our mission? How do we, how do we carry it out? Uh, we pick up today in the Gospel of John, a biographical account of Jesus written by the, the, the disciple John, one of the 12. And what we see here in chapter 12 is a real pivotal switch in the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, we know it's a real pivotal switch because for so much of his time and teaching out and about, he had been saying the words, my time has not yet come. Uh, in John's count alone, he says it in John 2, John 7, my time has not yet come. I says it in other places in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts. But here in John chapter 12, he goes, my time has now come. It's fascinating to me. We could read scripture texts like these, read about Jesus' life, and just kind of think, okay, here's a story we don't really think much of. But actually, a pivotal shift is happening here. My time has come, Jesus said. And that time has, has consciously shifted in his brain with the spark of Greeks trying to check him out. There's some Greeks who heard about Jesus and were asking about him, trying to get close to him and figure out what's this guy about. Uh, we know that uh, the Passover fel uh, fest festivities were going on, so there's celebrations. Uh, these Greeks were just kind of looking around for him. They had to ask around. Eventually, they found one of Jesus' 12, uh, one of his 12 disciples, a guy named Philip, and asked him with their request, uh, Sir, verse 21, we would like to see Jesus. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. I brought something very special with me today. Um, this is a plaque. I don't know if you can see in the back. Keep the lights. Uh, it says the word, sir, we would see Jesus. Okay, that's more of the old King James version. Sir, we'd like to see Jesus. This is very special to me because it was given to me by my dad a few years ago when he retired from the pastorate. And uh, the story behind it is my grandpa came to faith in a little town, a little church in, in uh, Schenectady. I can never say that word. Uh, those of you guys who are East Coasters in, in New York know what I'm referring to. It's a little town outside of Albany. 
Uh, and uh, there's a little church there where pastor is just kind of preaching the Bible faithfully, preaching about Jesus. And uh, my, my grandpa put his faith in the Lord there. Uh, he had been serving in the war, and then he, he spent some time there and came to know the Lord. And then a few uh, years later, uh, he had actually already felt the call into pastoral ministry himself, uh, attended uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, and, and that's kind of the story. Well, my dad knew this, and at one point when he finished serving his own, you know, uh, ser- uh, service in, in uh, after the, the Vietnam War, my dad was in the, on the East Coast, and he had the opportunity to go visit that church in that, in that little town. And so he did that one afternoon, and it was talking to the pastor that day, kind of recounting the story of how my grandpa came to faith there, and the pastor said, come follow me, I got to show you something. And so the pastor took my dad into the chapel uh, to uh, his pulpit that he preaches from and showed him on the back of the pulpit as he, as he faces the congregation, this uh, a plaque that said, sir, we would see Jesus. And my dad, as, as, as happy as he was to be there in that moment, he had something he had to rush to get back to. But the, the gentleman, the pastor there took the next few minutes to say, this is what it's all about. It's about helping people see Jesus. It's about lifting him up and and my dad was telling that story to his congregation in San Diego many years later, and there was an artist in the congregation who just quietly, without saying anything, went out and actually put this together, carved it, and then my dad had this in his pulpit uh, from that point on for years. I always just saw it whenever he preached. It was just kind of back there. You better believe if I had a pulpit, if we weren't like so modern day, poor pr- <laughs> this would be on there. And let me just say, I bring this every week into every sermon I preach, uh, if, if not here, right? Uh, it's in my office. Uh, every time I go to open up God's Word before I kind of study for a, a sermon, uh, it's in, uh, every time I go there early in the morning on Sundays to kind of prepare, I'm, I'm thinking about this verse. Sir, we would see Jesus. Guys, our mission as followers of Jesus is to show Jesus. Period. Full stop. Our mission, our purpose is to show Jesus. There are so many things we can make our mission about as a church, let alone in our lives that we could easily, that could be wonderful things, don't get me wrong, but our chief mission, our chief purpose is to show Jesus. I mean, we could make church all about community and hey, community is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I love community. And I can say with a genuine heart, I would love to hang out with you even apart from Mission and purpose, absolutely, 110%. Love you guys. It's not our chief aim. Our chief aim is to show Jesus. We could make our chief aim helping people have better lives, living more moral lives. That's a good and wonderful thing. It's part of our calling as a church. That is not the main thing. It is something that flows from the main thing, and that is showing Jesus. I've had, uh, over the years, people ask to get together, and one of the fun things about doing ministry in Silicon Valley is folks will just kind of straight shoot with where they're at and just kind of like, you know, want to process it. I love that. It's, it's a privilege to enter into that space. Uh, I've had a number of people kind of bring a similar thought to me. One dude just like articulated it super clearly. It's really interesting. He's like, David, I've been checking out the Christian faith. I see different ways it's a benefit to my life. Can you help me understand kind of its terms so I can decide if this is something for me? Wonderful question. I'm not trying to knock the question. It was good. I, was just, I just humbly suggested that, hey, in addition to thinking through those things, I would, I would frame it the way the Bible would frame it, and that is, what do you make of Jesus? Who is he to you, and what, what has he done for you? And do you accept that? Because if you don't, the scriptures straight up say, it, sh- it ought not matter to you. I mean, you can pull things out, this or that, but really, at the core of what it's about, it's about who he is, what he's done, and what you make of him. 
Our mission, our purpose is to show Jesus. And, you know, I, I love the account of Philip and Andrew here. You know, these, these Greeks are trying to figure out what Jesus is all about. And they come and they find Philip. Uh, biblical scholars, uh, we don't know for sure, but they, they tend to think that they probably found Philip because he had some Greek tendencies. His name is Greek. Uh, he's from the area of the Decapolis, which, had, have, which was heavily uh, Greek-influenced. So maybe there was some common ground there. They went to find Philip, and uh, just the funniest thing happens at that point. We don't know all the details, but reading between the lines, it seems pretty clear something attuned to this happened. Philip go, the Greeks come to Philip and say, we'd like to see Jesus, and Philip goes, what do I do with this? Like, and so he's like, I got to find, like, Andrew, what do you think I should do? These Greeks are trying to find Jesus. Andrew's all, you should probably tell them, you know, Jesus is over here. You know, he's, they're working it out. They kind of fumble about it. It's kind of awkward in a sense, but they finally manage together, the two of them figure out, go to Jesus and say, hey, these Greeks are checking out, checking you out, trying to figure you out. And I, I love that they fumble about it. I love that they're kind of awkward about it in a sense because that's more or less your calling and mine. It's just to show Jesus. And if we fumble about it, if we're awkward about it, that's okay. Because it's not about you or me. Christianity is not about Christians. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ and showing him to the world. And so our part is to play kind of like Philip and, and Andrew here, even as we're just kind of trying to figure it out, be like, here he is. What do you make of him? What's fascinating to me is we don't, know the motivations behind the Greeks trying to check out Jesus. They could have been genuine seekers. They could have been religious tourists. I don't know how it worked back in the first century, but you know, Jesus had some hype around him. Maybe they're just like, I want to see what this guy's about. Get an autograph. I don't know. The important thing is not their motivations. The important thing is they came across the most important question, who is Jesus and what, what ought we make of him? And Philip and Andrew got to play a part in that. Uh, that's, that's our mission. That's our purpose. One of my favorite stories in the Bible that has just meant so much to me, especially after starting Current, because it's so central to what we're trying to be about, is found in, in Mark chapter 2, where four guys hear about Jesus' ability to heal, including the paralyzed, and they have a paralytic buddy, and they decide, all right, let's haul this guy, haul our friend to go see Jesus, see if we can get him healed. Uh, we're not told how far they haul this guy. They put him on a, on a rug. They have some ropes to kind of hold him together. And they probably traveled a good distance. I mean, how likely is it, was it that they were just a couple blocks away from where Jesus happened to be? You know what I'm saying? They, they carry this guy, four of them, to get to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, he's there teaching in a house. The house is so packed that they can't get through, but they're undeterred. They find, they figure out that they could probably go up on the roof. And so they make their way up on the roof. They start cutting a hole through the roof and get a hole big enough. And then they lower their buddy down and put him right there in front of Jesus so that their friend could see Jesus. I mean, to me, it's almost comical, that story. Comical to everybody except for the owner of the house. Because, I mean, everybody's there just listening to Jesus, right? Give this sermon. Everybody's just raptured. And then all of a sudden you hear stuff going on up above you, like in the roof area. And then no doubt you see some, like, roofing materials just start to, like, fall down. You're like, what's this about? Then there's a hole. Then after a hole, four dudes stick their heads through. Then there's a guy coming down. It's like, right? If you put yourself. And all mid-sermon, I would have loved to see how Jesus would have, like, you know, interacted with that whole deal. But the point was, those friends were doing the very thing we're called to do, which Philip and Andrew kind of did, awkwardly fumbled, whatever, to get their friend in front of Jesus. And guess what? I don't even have to get into the rest of the story. Jesus took it from there. Our calling is to help people see Jesus. And there are so many things that can, can get in the way of that or we can stray from. I was talking to someone uh, just this last week. 
who uh, invited me, gave, me gave me the privilege to kind of process kind of her, like some big life decisions she has in front of her. She's thinking about her career. She's thinking about where, she, where she's living, where she might, might move to and all this sort of stuff. And so she was processing these things, asking me just kind of my thoughts. And what I was doing in that conversation is what I try to do in every conversation like these, and that is ask questions and pray. Because <laughs> who am I to just be like, well, you should do this. Like, okay, fear God in me. I just ask questions to help process and, and pray. And if there's some things I can share, I'll share, I'll share them. But that's what I was doing, just asking questions and praying. And at one point, as she was processing and thinking things through, she came to a conclusion on her own. Oh, my goodness, I've been thinking about all these things. It's good to process, think about it. But I don't want one of the things to miss in all of this is whatever I decide to do to not prioritizing helping people see Jesus. Now I'm using our words from today, but that was her thought. And as she said that, I was like, amen, amen. Because this is the mission and vision uh, and purpose that God gives us above every other thing. These, these are the things of eternity to help people see Jesus. It's really straightforward, but it's our, it's our calling. Uh, one of the things that's pretty incredible here is we see that it's, it's not actually just enough to, to show them Jesus. We've got to take it one step further. Um, and uh, we see that uh, by way of kind of an interesting dynamic that's happening in this story. I wonder if you noticed this when Cindy read the text, but uh, kind of an awkwardish thing happened uh, throughout this, this story. And I'm just referring to Philip and Andrew and them kind of fumbling about. The Greeks come to see Jesus. They say, sir, we would see Jesus. Philip and Andrew get their act together eventually and come to Jesus and say, hey, there's these Greeks out here wanting to see you. And then Jesus just launches into teaching, and we don't know if he ever actually saw the Greeks. You know what I'm saying? In fact, the way John tells this account, it seems almost very likely that Jesus never gave audience to the Greeks. It's kind of like going to give someone a high five and then just being left hanging, right? Like Jesus, he, maybe you're just outside the door the whole time. I don't know what's going on. It's very curious, one, because, well, Jesus didn't do that. But two, like for a reason, why would he do that? He actually gets into that in this text a little bit. Jesus, on every single page, you can read about his life in ministry in almost every circumstance where someone came to him asking him for a healing, a thought, a advice, or whatever it is, in almost every single interaction Jesus had with any and everybody, he would stop everything he was doing and focus 100% of his attention on that individual. Is that your understanding of Jesus when you read about him? Like, that's what he would do. But here, it's like, he just left the Greeks. Like, what's going on? Why didn't... The answer to what's going on here has to do with this pivotal shift that we've been talking about. Jesus had been saying for, for a long time, my hour has not yet come. But here, with the Greeks coming, he says, my hour has come. And actually, he says it this way, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We see in this moment, Jesus' mission shifting. Up until this point, Jesus had been spending his time teaching, healing, you name it, out there with each and every individual he could. But something shifted in this moment where he says, but I got to focus now. My, my hour has come. He says, he goes on further in verse 27, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Well, what reason is that? Verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Uh, Jesus, who we know from other instances with other people, 
would have loved to have spent time with those Greeks, getting into their lives, having conversation, maybe teaching them, maybe healing them, doing something to that degree. But he doesn't do that. Why not? Because he says, I've got something I've got to especially do. This is why it came, the reason why it came. And he says, he articulates that as being lifted up. He, say, he said, I have to be lifted up so that I can draw all people to myself, which, by the way, includes the Greeks. I've got to be lifted up. What does he mean by being lifted up? Well, he's, he's referring, of course, to the cross, to being crucified. Uh, fascinating detail here that scholars always point out is the fact that Jesus is saying he was troubled by this. His soul is troubled by this. Jesus was facing death. This guy who was bold in every single situation was facing death. He understood that this was the reason for which he came, and yet he was saying, my soul is troubled. It's curious because there are plenty of people throughout history, Christian martyrs who faced death seemingly better than Jesus was here, at least much more poised. We have on record Christian martyrs facing probably scarier physical deaths. I mean, crucifixion was up there, right? But we're talking scary physical deaths and yet facing it like, bring it on. If I get to follow the Lord in this, I'm, I'm going to do it. And yet Jesus here is saying, I'm troubled. What's going on? Well, what we understand is Jesus was showing us something that his death was far worse than just the physical act. In fact, the physical part of his death wasn't really the main thing that he was facing. He said, my hour has come. The hour has come for judgment to come into this world. Uh, Jesus was showing us that he needed to be lifted up. And that's true today. Our mission is not just to show Jesus. It's to show Jesus lifted up. We've got to lift him up. We've got to, we've got to share the gospel. We've got to get to the gospel. We've got to help people understand and see the gospel, which is literally the good news. The gospel, in a nutshell, is God created us to be in relationship with him, but we rejected him, rejected his ways. That's really what the Bible calls sin, doing our own thing apart from him. And what the scriptures teach us is the wages of sin is death. In fact, that was in the garden with our forebears. God said, hey, the day you sin, you will surely die. Well, they didn't kill over the day they sinned. They didn't die physically, even as physical death came into the world. They died spiritually. The wages of sin is death. The greatest consequence of their sin and ours is a separation from God. And that's what sin ultimately does. It separates us from a good, loving, perfect, holy God. But God, not wanting to leave us apart from him, sent his son into the world for this hour that Jesus references here, to be lifted up so that when he is lifted up, he might draw all people to himself. And in facing that, Jesus was facing judgment, your judgment and mine when we put our faith in him. And that's why Jesus, the son of God, was troubled to his soul in that moment. He was facing what you and I deserve for being separated from God because of our sin. But just as much as, you know, it says the wages of sin is death, it also goes on to say, but the gift, here, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus would be lifted up so that he could draw people to himself that when we receive him by faith, we receive eternal life, a life restored with him. Our mission is to show Jesus, but also to lift him up. The gospel has to be front and center in our relationships with others, when we point others to him, when we show Jesus. The apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I'm resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I mean, think about that. Of all the things the apostle Paul who wrote, you know, just a little bit of scripture, of all the things he wrote, he says, compared to any and all the rest, I just want to know Christ's death and him 
being resurrected. Uh, later on, he would say in 1 Corinthians 15, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of this gospel that I preached to you. This gospel, it's by this gospel you were saved. You hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again to life on the third day. I mean, Paul actually goes on in that same chapter to say, if Christ didn't die, if he didn't, uh, if he wasn't raised again to life, then anything and everything we're doing related to the Christian faith is futile, he said, worthless. Meaning what we're doing here right now is a waste of time. He said, you might as, if Christ didn't die and was raised again to life, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I, mean, I love that that's like straight up built into the scriptures. The scriptures give the cheat code for all of this unraveling. But if he did die and he was raised again, if, in other words, if Jesus was lifted up, which current family he was, then, oh, it makes all the difference in the world. It means we can have a restored relationship with God, life forever with him, and we've got to make that known to those around us. Uh, Paul also wrote, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. He said, uh, John, earlier in the same gospel account that we're reading, said, for to all who receive and to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Notice he didn't say when people figure out and get their acts together, when they go to church, when they begin, become better people, when they finally find the inner peace that they really, he didn't say, he said, when I am lifted up. In other words, Jesus has done everything. And we just receive it by faith. And so followers of his current family, our mission, our purpose is just to put out Jesus, to show him. And more specifically, Jesus lifted up. In other words, talking about the gospel and not do so in a let's jam Christianity out down your throat sort of way, not in a force debate, not in a, you know, spiritual guilt sort of way, but just to show Jesus. And with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, who let's say they are asking questions about him, whether they realize it or not, to show them Jesus. And if they aren't asking questions with him, not in a forced way, just to raise him to the surface so that they can decide what to make of him. Uh, it's really amazing. If you go back to that account where uh, the four guys bring the paralytic to Jesus, they kind of lower him down there, and then he's kind of in front of them. They're, they're hoping for the, the paralytic to receive his, you know, his, the his mobility in his legs, right? But Jesus actually doesn't, doesn't heal him at first. What does he say? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. There's an inner dialogue happening between Jesus and that paralytic way beyond what those four people understood, the four friends on the rooftop understood. In fact, they were probably a little ticked off. Wait a minute, that's not what we signed up for. They were looking for that miracle when Jesus was saying, I got an eternal life miracle I want to do. This is our calling. This is what we're all about. And we get to do this together. Today is Serve Sunday. You heard Cindy highlight it. Today is a day where we just want to highlight for you ways, if you felt so led, to join the team and help us show Jesus. Help us lift him up. Our goal in doing any of this is not to play church, heaven forbid. Our goal in this ultimately is not to help people live better lives and be more moral. That's important, but it's important because it comes from Jesus. Our goal in all this isn't just to do community. That's important. It's part of the implication of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. But it's not our chief aim. Our chief aim, bringing two trailers in every week, 
portable church is to show Jesus, to lift him up, so that we would see Jesus, for followers of his, and we would make him known. And if you had told, told me that in the past few weeks, a number of people have made first-time faith decisions to follow Jesus, if you had told me, like, even for one person, this will be more than worthwhile, because we're talking about eternity. And we want, you, we want to invite you into that space because this is the mission, this is the purpose that God gives us. So when you came in today, this is what Cindy was highlighting. You got this card. I encourage you to look at it. Cindy talked about it so you guys can kind of make, uh, think about it for you, what you will. And I would just say we, we love to have fun with like the, the sweatshirts and swag and all that sort of stuff. People have come to faith through t-shirts. It's like, man, I invested some t-shirts. First of all, it's fun to wear, so hey, that's, but like people were out and about. I remember a good friend of ours saw one of you guys out wearing a shirt in the grocery store, heard about that, came to church, put their faith in Jesus. Yeah, I'd say that's worth it. Plus it keeps you warm. Okay, nice. <laughs> Our point though is like all this, it's is not just, okay, so we can have swag. Who cares? We want to show Jesus. We want to lift him up. And part of that is, is by serving together. One of the things that happens, just all, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things as, as churches grow is the dynamic can happen. Oh, I guess it's covered. People are doing it. And uh, first of all, that's not the case. It's awesome here how it just kind of looks all nicer. If you've been with us in the past, you're like, wow, these guys actually figured it out. No, that's not true. But we do have a wonderful team helping us set everything else up. And, and we could use help not just to get it done so we could show Jesus on a Sunday, but so that we could expand our ability to show Jesus. Make it more possible to those around us. I mean, that's, that's the goal. That's what we would love to invite you into. I could break down how, hey, serve and you'll get some exercise. Okay, that's kind of more trivial. You will get exercise if you do ops team. Sign up for the ops team. We could use the help. I could highlight how you'll get community. That's a big part. It's an important part. It's a good part. I could highlight how Ephesians 4 says that when you and I serve, we actually grow in the likeness of Christ. There's a spiritual dynamic that happens. And I don't have to preach on that. You guys understand that when you pour yourself out, you actually can receive a blessing. I don't have to say our, our call today is to ask that you would help us show Jesus. And when I say us, I mean us collectively, that we would help each other show Jesus because that's our call and, and lift him up. So I encourage you to look at this. There's, again, the blue is always a great place to check out kids. Oh my goodness. I got to do a communion with the kids team earlier this morning. These guys are pouring into the next generation. They're already starting to think about camp for summer, uh, which 10 kids made a faith decision last summer. It's like, Jesus said, let all the kid, children come to me. It's like, man, if you, for those of you guys who are serving back there, but you're off today, thank you guys for your ministry in that. If you have a heart to help us make that happen, there's, boy, you want to talk about our purpose and mission coming through. We get to show the, Je uh, the kids Jesus. All right. Um, you could turn this in on your way out today. There'll be opportunities to do that. Um, I want to just real quickly, real quickly just highlight a few things that Jesus said. I mean, I, one of, the, one of the, the fun slash frustrating things about preaching is any one of God's you know, little texts here, paragraphs could be like three sermons, okay? So you can only cover what you can cover. Uh, there's a few thoughts that I want to just share real quickly, real quickly. Maybe we'll unpack them in, in our current groups this week. But we've talked about our mission, what it looks like. I want to real quickly highlight what Jesus calls out as some of the realities of the mission. We're going to breeze through these. One, a reality of the mission is it, it means suffering, 
okay? Look at verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. One of the things Jesus is saying here is a reality of following him in his mission is suffering. The call of Jesus is not a call into an easy or comfortable life. Uh, It includes suffering. Um, Sometimes directly because of following Jesus. Some of you have experienced this in the workplace. If it's come out that you're following Jesus, people look at your side or whatever the case might be. Sometimes it's direct. Sometimes it's indirect. Here's what I want to say, and especially to those of you who are facing suffering right now, because I know this is not an academic thing as we talk about it. One of the corollaries of this is that your suffering matters. There's purpose in your suffering. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, you will come into my suffering, and God will use that. So if there's nothing to see in your suffering, know that God sees it as purposeful. And I just take so much joy in that, even as it's, you know, something to wrestle with, because apart from Jesus, suffering is at at best meaningless, or just kind of useful, but at worst, it's, it's a distraction or it's something that takes us out. But God gives us meaning even in the suffering. So, so reality mission means suffering. But in reality number two is it means prioritizing God's ways over the world's ways. That's what he's saying when he, when he said anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, this must not be understood as we need to have contempt for our life or even the good things of the world. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying what we kind of talked about last week, and that is even the good and best things of this world need to be in their proper place or to use vocabulary we used last week, in the proper order. And he's saying you just need to make sure that the things that God cares about, the eternal things, are first in your life over even the things of this world. Are we, are we, are we tracking that? And I would just say as a corollary to this one is God wants you to be ambitious in life. He wants you and me to make investments, to make great gains. He's just saying if you're doing that in things of this world, oh, Silicon Valley, you're aiming far too short. Because these things are temporary, whereas God says, hey, if you invest in the eternal, those things will last forever, and the Father will see it and honor it. And so he's inviting you into that. Uh, It means putting God's ways before his ways. And then the last reality, real quickly here, of the mission means impact beyond anything we could fathom. I mean, that's what he's talking about with the kernel of wheat that falls on the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Have you ever been walking out uh, along the street on a sidewalk and you just see that just a large tree root just busting through the concrete? It's pretty awe-inducing if you just kind of think about it. Here's this concrete losing to a tree. And really, that tree first was a seed. It's incredible, but the, the power in a single seed can just wreak havoc, can just grow in spite of the strongest construction materials that we have. Just give it time and nurture. And, and Jesus is saying, when you invest in things eternal, when you invest in showing people Jesus and lifting him up, the impact that you get to be a part of is beyond anything you or I can fathom. I was talking to a pastor buddy uh, this week, and uh, he was asking me what I'm preaching on Sunday, and I was like, I'm going to talk about Jesus and and, you know, his pastor friends geek out. He's like, oh, I love that. You're going to tell him about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. 
He's like, can I tell you a story? I was like, sure, it'll probably make the sermon. Okay. Uh, he's all, he's all, I, I got a call from somebody, I think it was last week, where uh, just out of the blue, the guy had to look up his phone number and uh, found him and gave him a call. It turns out it was a guy now grown who had first come to uh, his church like three decades ago as a little guy with his brother and his single mom. And he remembered the guy after he kind of registered it. All those years back, he was just like, oh man, like we didn't know where they're at faith-wise. We just kind of focused on telling them about Jesus. And just, and about a year later, they had to move away and he didn't understand all the circumstances and, you know, just kind of life happened. And well, he was calling him decades later and he called from Hawaii. He's now a youth pastor there, roughing it, you know. And he said, he said, I got this opportunity to give a talk in front of a lot of a kid, like a lot of youth. And uh, I just... I'm curious, I just was reminded of you, what would you teach them? Like, what, what would you have me teach them? And you got to realize my pastor buddy over coffee is like beamingly smiling at this point. He's just like, I said, focus on the same thing we focused as a church with you all those decades back. Give them Jesus. He's like, there's a lot of other things you, you could talk to and go about, and maybe you'll get the chance to, but just give them Jesus. And I'm over here like, that's pretty incredible. Because here was a church faithfully showing Jesus many, many years ago. Who knows what kind of conversations that family had, two boys, single mom, that helped them find Jesus, even in spite of them actually realizing that, that actually had happened. And now that kid had grown up and now he's a youth pastor sharing Jesus with others. I'm like, if that's not spiritual fruit, I don't know what is. This is our aim. This is our calling. And I would just say, you know, Kind of the point of Jesus' metaphor about the kernel of seed going to the ground and dying and then reproducing and multiplying all this sort of stuff, kind of related to that is there's going to be so much fruit and multiplication of ministry that is way beyond anything we'll see in this life. And it's all about things of eternity. It's all about things that when we not only get to the end of this life, but we begin the next life, we will not regret. And we will say, thank you, Lord. And here's the crazy thing, guys. We get to do that together. In a place like the Silicon Valley, where it's true today, as the Lord said it back then, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, he said, pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers in the field. That's our prayer today. Maybe some of you would enter into the harvest field with us. Because our hope, our invitation is our hope and invitation for ourselves to show Jesus, to lift him up every Sunday and throughout the week as we have opportunity, and we would love to invite you into that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for coming into this world. You came to teach, you came to preach, you came to heal, you came to perform miracles, you came to do all these wonderful things in our lives, but the hour you came for, the reason for which you came was to, to be lifted up, to go to the cross, to take our judgment upon yourself, that when we put our faith in you, we could receive forgiveness of sins in life forever with him. Father, would you help us as a church make that our main and chief aim? Would you help us as individual followers of Jesus make that our main and chief aim? Forgive us for how easy and quickly we can stray from that. But just like Philip and Andrew, even in spite of us, would you help us just help others see Jesus? What a gift. And on top of that, we get to do it together. Thank you for this family. And thank you for the purpose that we get to experience together as a family. And we're not just showing up and hanging out. We're, we're showing up and rolling up our our sleeves to serve you, the one who first served us. And Father, as we come now to the, the communion table, we just ask that you would help us continue to remember Jesus. 
his body broken, his blood shed for us. We ask this in his name. Amen.